Good morning. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. It's, uh, it's great to see the faces that I see and the fellowship that we have. It's just a blessing. It really is a blessing to be in this congregation and in this church where God has placed us together in His providence. Um, I'm thankful this morning for Paul's equipping our message. It, um, it providentially, I, I really, I, he had mentioned that he was going to talk about the word of faith and things, um, but I had forgotten. But it, it goes right along with that he was making some of the same points that are going to be made here this morning in the um, in the second chapter of Galatians. So, God is good. He, he guides us. He directs us even when we don't know it. He is um, he is a light. Uh, he truly is a light to our path. Pray with me, Father. I thank you, God, for this morning. I thank you for a beautiful day. I thank you for the people who are here, the souls that have been saved, God. Even the unlikeliness of many of us being together and how you have brought us together by your spirit and by your guidance and by your providence. We thank you for that, God. Um, and as I look at, I, I just pray, God, as we look at your word here, Lord, that you would get the message to the hearts of your people. That you would direct even the, the words that are said direct the message that goes forth, that you would get glory for yourself and that it would be beneficial to your kingdom, or that if there's any who are hurting from past experiences, that this would help them, this would encourage them. If there's any who are still struggling with going back into the bondage of the law, that this word that Paul wrote, that you inspired, would break them free of that this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we got through about half of chapter 2 last time, so we're going to be starting on verse 11. Just kind of a reminder of what Galatians, what, what we've seen so far. Paul's writing this book to the churches of Galatia, who he planted. He was the one who went forth, took the gospel to this area the first time. The churches were established under the true gospel message. That Paul was preaching, the same message that went forth on the day of Pentecost by Peter, the same same message that had been proclaimed and spread, and he he has spent this time building up to this, defending that very fact. The message I preach to you is the same message that Peter's preaching. It's the same message that James is preaching. It is the gospel. It's the true gospel message. And he's also defending his apostleship. So what was happening was these churches had these people coming in behind him after he had planted them, after he had left, coming in, trying to take them back under the law. Trying to say, look, you need to be circumcised. You need to keep the feast. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to be basically live as a Jew in order for what? For justification. So they were perverting the gospel. And he's, he's, done, he's went through and explained how this is not true. These people are liars. They're false teachers. And he's kind of given a, a rundown about how he met with the apostles. And then in verse 11, we come into this, this verse that is... There is a lot here in this verse. And so my prayer has been that it stays focused on what God wants us to hear today. So let's read it. Galatians 2.11. He says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. 
So we want to make sure that we get what's going on in context here. So the, the scene describes, um, we're, we're talking about the Apostle Peter here. This is the man who walked on water. Even though it was a short period of time, he's the only one that got out of the boat. Right? He walked with Christ. This is the man that Jesus looked at him and said, you are the rock. Right? He is the foundation of the, of the apostles. He was the one who stood, uh, who Christ said, feed my sheep. Now, he had his weaknesses, too, but this is the Apostle Peter. He's also the one that stood up in Acts on the day of Pentecost in front of the entire nation of Israel as what was available and preached a gospel message that is unparalleled. He stood before him and he said, you're responsible for the death of Christ. You took the creator of the earth, you took the king of kings, and you put him on a cross. And he commanded them to repent. He's great, right? He's a great apostle. He's a father of the faith, so to speak. But he's still a man. He's still a human. And we have to remember that when we're dealing with anybody, any of our heroes in the faith. They're men. They have issues, they have problems, and that's the case here that Paul is dealing with. So Paul withstood him to the face. This shows a few different things that I want to talk about. The first is it shows how serious the matter of not trusting in the law is. Not trusting in the law for salvation is. Because that's what was going on. That's what Paul is dealing with back in Galatia, and apparently it was going on in Antioch. There's some confusion. There is a blending of the law and the gospel that should not have been taking place. And Paul withstood him to the face. Even the apostle Peter doesn't get a pass on this matter. Why? God is no respecter of persons. You remember when in the first chapter when Paul said, Though we, or who? An angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you other than what we have preached. Let him be accursed. It does not matter who it is. It does not matter how big a name or how big a position or how high the post is. If they start teaching something other than the gospel, the good news of Christ alone... Then there, ha- then there is a problem, and that's what he's saying. And the apostles are not perfect. And I thought about this. If this apostle Peter, the one who walked with Christ, the one who walked on water, the one who delivered that bold, one of the boldest messages you can read in the Bible, needs to be corrected, how much more, or at least... Us too. Right? And that's what Paul talked this morning a little bit about. The reason we have four elders, the reason we don't have a senior guy, is for this very reason. Peter didn't. Peter had men who were parallel. And this again shows Paul. Paul is showing, look, I'm an apostle just like he is. And I confronted him to his face. I withstood him to his face. This is not... Easy language. This was not a, hey, listen, don't want to. No, he withstood him. It was a direct confrontation. Why? Because he was in error. And there's going to be times when we all go into error. None of us are perfect. And that's why it's important that each one of us has people in our lives that are willing to withstand us to the face. It's important. It also shows us that confrontation and correction is necessary sometimes. Absolutely necessary. This is important in today's time because we are living in a time when correcting somebody seems to be bad. I I don't know how to say it. It's like 
there's this idea that you have to coddle everybody. That's not, there was no coddling here when it came to Paul talking to Peter. And these are two brothers. These, these weren't men at odds with one another, except over this particular issue. But we have no evidence of any other time them being at odds. I think the issue was corrected, and they went on. They, they, extended, the hand, they extended the hand of fellowship, right? Once the issue was corrected, we move on. And that's, that's where I think we, we lack this in our, in our times, in our culture today, that it's not okay to correct somebody. And it's not okay to maybe get a little bit forceful about it. It is okay if it's for the sake of the gospel, if it's for the sake of the truth. It is okay and it's necessary. If the, if the apostle Peter needed it, we're all going to need it at some times. And guess what? I don't know the new words. I was asking my daughter this morning, triggered. Somebody might get triggered over that. I think that's a trying to make a stronger way to say, you hurt my feelings. Is that about right? Your feelings may get hurt. It may hurt your pride. It may hurt your, your, your whole attitude. But guess what? Our pride needs to be hurt. We need to be chopped down a few times from, from time to time. So let's look at, in verse 12, let's look at the reason that he withstood him to the face. Because that is important too. It's not just we go around doing it just for every little thing, right? But for the sake of truth and for the sake of the gospel. In verse 12, for certain, before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So this is not just like a one-time thing. I used to read this and think this happened like one time. But no, this was a pattern that was going on with Peter. It was something that was going on in the entire, um, in, over a period of time. I think, because he said before certain men come from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. Um, and so what we see here is we see Peter enjoying the freedom that was revealed to him in Acts chapter 10. Do you remember? Let's turn over to Acts chapter 10 and let's take a look at that. This is amazing because Peter is the one who revealed this in the first place, who God revealed it to first. Acts 10, verse 9, Peter's on the rooftop praying. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. And this was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven. So Peter's praying... All of these unclean animals, according to the law, all of these probably snakes and pigs and anything that was deemed unclean was lowered down and, and the Lord speaks to him and says, kill it and eat. And Peter's like, no, no, no. No, this is, this is, that's, that's violation of the law. Now remember, this is after Christ. This is after Pentecost. So there's still a, there's this overlapping of ideas, and Jesus is about to abolish that idea in Peter's mind and in reality. And he says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And while he was thinking about those things, I'll just summarize what happened. 
Cornelius, somebody sends for him to go to the household of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. And at this point, there was no blending of the Jews and the Gentiles. There were few, you know, obscure times where some Gentiles became proselyte Jews and started following the law before Christ and those kind of things. But the Gentiles had not yet fully been brought into the kingdom of God. And Peter, as he's walking there, as he's going to Cornelius' house, he realizes what that message was about. And what was it? Those who are common or unclean, he was talking about the Gentiles. He was also talking about the food. He was saying, this is no longer the case. This is not it anymore. That law has served its purpose. And we are now going to bring these Gentiles in. And so what we see here in Galatians is Peter's enjoying that freedom, right? He's eating with the Gentiles. He's living as a Gentile as far as that goes. He's fellowshipping with them. Why? They're believers. They're Christians. He's eating the food that they would eat. But then it says when they came... He withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And we don't know exactly why Peter feared them. It doesn't give us that. It could have been Peter wanted to be well known or have certain clout among the Jews still. And this, I was thinking about this as Paul was teaching this morning. Uh, this, is, this is a dangerous position to take. And I thought of men today in academia who I think are falling into this very trap. They are wanting clout among the world. And they're sacrificing the truth of the scriptures in order to get it. And I think that's possibly what Peter was doing. I think there was a there's still a I mean Anybody that's left a certain um, sect of religion understands this. Because when you were in it for a long period of time, there is this thing inside of you that somehow wants uh, recognition from that. Right? Um, it, it can even be the same with like your parents. Even though you, if you've, if you've, like your parents may be unbelievers or if they believe a different way and you leave that and you know what they believe is wrong and you know that what you believe is right, there's still this, this feeling of you want acceptance from them or you want praise from them or admiration. And I think that's what we see in academia. I think we see it in people leaving certain Religions as well. I think we see it in even like denominations. There's men right now in the Southern Baptist denomination who want recognition from the bigwigs. Why? It's our pride. It's the pride of life. It's the pride of man. We want recognition from those who we deem important. And that's where Paul said, "I, I don't know who they were. It doesn't matter to me. They're of no importance. Their reputation is no, of no importance. What is important? The truth. And so Peter, it looks like he had fear. It could have been that somehow they actually physically intimidated him. Or it could have been that Peter just wanted to be liked. How many times have we sacrificed truth because we wanted somebody to like us? I know I have. I've failed to speak up at a time when I probably should have spoke up. Or I went along and with the crowd or laughed at some jokes or whatever it is that I shouldn't because I just want to be liked by the people that I'm around. We all deal with that. And that's, so Peter was dealing with something like that. And Paul withstood him to the face. And it says because he was fearing of those who were of the circumcision. So these Jews, these and probably men of clout, important men in the eyes of 
Judaism had showed up. And so Paul withdrew himself. He, he separated himself. And I thought about what would it look like if you were a Gentile in this time? What if you were one of those Gentiles and Peter's there with you in Antioch and he's teaching you. And you're having a great time. You're having fellowship, having meals. Then all of a sudden these however many guys come into town. Where'd Peter go? I haven't seen him in a while. Oh, he's over there with them. Hey, Peter. And he just kind of acts like, you ever seen somebody do that? You ever done that to somebody? Yeah, it's not fun. It's not good. It's crushing in the kingdom of God. And listen, we do it. I've seen it happen. This is one of those things where you go to a conference and there's a line a mile long to talk to Paul Washer. Or there's a line a mile long to talk to John MacArthur and people are having him sign their Bibles. And, and the, guy that's sitting, the guy that's traveling with them can answer your questions just as good as they can. Their pastor at home can probably answer their questions. But they want to ask a question to, to you know, John MacArthur or John Piper or whoever it is. They're just men. They're just men. Paul makes that clear here. But also, like you have friends. And you may have some of those friends that are kind of, you know, needy. But you treat them really well because for the kingdom of God, you treat them well. But then when your other buddies come along and all of a sudden, uh, man, I wish I could just... Go without them. It's heartbreaking. And the truth is that God is pleased by your sacrifice, just like we heard this morning. And it doesn't have to be always money. It can be your time, but it can also be your position. You think God is impressed by a president of a university? You think God is impressed... By a pastor of a church of a thousand, or a hundred, or ten thousand, or twenty. Doesn't matter. God is pleased when we stand on truth. And that's Paul's point here. That's the reason Paul withstood Peter to the face. That's the reason he confronted him. That's the reason they had this confrontation. That was necessary. And he goes on to explain more. In in verse 13 it says, And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Now, let me show you. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to show you what Paul was not saying. He was not saying that Peter should not, at times, abstain from certain meats. That wasn't the problem. The problem wasn't the fact that Peter said, okay, I'm not going to eat pork. Look at in 1 Corinthians verse, or chapter 9, verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I become as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, and I may be, and that I may be partaker of it with you. So Paul's not saying, Paul's saying, hey, if you're going to go witness to some Jews, don't walk in there with bacon and serve them up some bacon, right? Be respectful of their position. Why? It'll cause a a stumbling block. But he's saying, don't, don't be like staunch and obnoxious about it when you go into the Gentiles either, right? He's saying, be what you need to be to all people, but that's not the problem that he had with Peter. 
Because in verse 23 there in Corinthians, he says, for the gospel's sake. And that's the problem with what happened in Antioch. It was farther than Peter just eating with the Jews. Even Barnabas was carried away. He compelled them to do these things. He wasn't just saying, ah, my conscience is saying I I probably shouldn't eat that meat. Or I'm not going to eat that meat because it may cause them to stumble. No, he's trying now to tell the others, this is how you live. And what happens is it was actually... The opposite of for the sake of the gospel, it was actually for, it was going against the gospel. Because what was happening was they were looking at this for justification. They were looking at this as part of their salvation or as part of trying to earn favor with God. And the strong language that he uses here is hypocrisy. Even Barnabas, who knows better. Paul knows Barnabas knows better. That was his companion. How many hours had Paul and Barnabas spent talking about these very subjects? And he knows that Barnabas knows better, but he got caught up in it. Why? Same reason Peter did. There's people around. There's pressure. There's people staring at you. There's people pressuring you to do this and do that. And rather than standing on the Word of God, you follow them. And this is, we see another reason we put our trust in the Word of God, not in men. You know, we were talking, I was talking this earlier about a lady who um, is apparently following every wind of doctrine. And we've all known people who tend to follow every wind of doctrine. Anything that comes through that sounds good, I'm on it. It can be Word of Faith on this side. It can be John MacArthur. It can be John Gill. It can be Beth Moore. Sounds good. Promise Keepers. Let's go. Right? And and here's where we see what we really need to do. Is we need to look at what does the Word of God say. And not in men. Don't believe me. Please don't believe me because I say it. Believe me because I can show it to you in the scriptures. Believe Randy because he can show it to you in the scriptures. Ronnie, Paul, anybody else who teaches here, don't take their word for it. When you listen to the radio, do not take the word of Paul Washer. Do not take the word of John MacArthur. Or even guys who have moved... On into eternity. Spurgeon is not perfect. Was not. He, he is now. He's been perfected. But <laughs> he was not at the time. He was a man. Just like Peter is. Just like Barnabas is. The word of God. Trust in the word of God. And, be, and it's just, this is just a warning. Because I've experienced this. I've experienced times where I've trusted certain teachers so much that if they said it, I took it as truth. And if that, if you find yourself in that case, in that spot, and I'll tell you, it was Paul Washer for me, because he had such an impact on my life by listening to his sermons, it changed the way, I mean, it changed everything about the way I even looked at the Word of God, and it was all good. He's a great um, preacher. But I started realizing I would, ha- I would hear something, and I would be like, hmm, I wonder what Paul Washer thinks about that. You know, and I'd look it up. And then at that point, I realized, I wonder what the Bible says about that. I should probably go there first. And so if you find yourself in those, leaning towards those tendencies, I would encourage you to check that. And I actually stopped listening to him for quite a while because I wanted to, I wanted to let the word speak. And so just a kind of a warning there to be careful with. So we trust in the word of God. Look at verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. And that's the problem. 
That's where the problem lies. That's when the confrontation is necessary. Not over the little things, not over, hey, what are you, what are you eating that meat for? It's not about the meat. Hey, wh- why are you, you know, whatever it is. No, it's about the truth of the gospel that was, they were not being straightforward about. He said to Peter before them all. So he confronts him not only immediately, not only face to face, but he does it in front of all of the people. If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? There's that word compel. At that point, Peter was trying to convince. He was trying to force the Gentiles to come back under the law. And it wasn't a one-time thing. It couldn't have been the way that he talked about it. He lives, so before he was living as a Gentile, but then when these men showed up, he starts compelling them, hey, you need to come back and you need to eat under these dietary laws. You need to come back and you need to start keeping this Sabbath. You need to come back, you need to be circumcised. And so Paul says, this isn't being straightforward about the gospel. That's the hypocrisy. You're, you're living as a Gentile, but now you're expecting them to keep the law. You couldn't even keep the law before. You can't even keep the law now with the Holy Spirit. You can't keep the law. So why are you trying to compel them to do something that our fathers could not do? It falls short. Martin Luther said this. He said, to live as a Jew is nothing bad. To eat or not to eat pork, what difference does it make? But to play the Jew and for conscience sake to abstain from certain meats is a denial of Christ. In other words, if you're doing this for justification, if you're doing anything for justification, you're denying Christ. It doesn't have to be just eating meat or keeping the law. It can be anything that you are basing your salvation on today that is not Christ alone, then you are denying Christ. He doesn't share his glory with any other, and he sure is not going to share it with you or whatever work you have developed that you think is going to help you earn favor with God. No, Christ's glory is his alone. Look at verse 15 and 16. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. In Antioch... The issue was meat. In Jerusalem, it was circumcision. In the entire book of Galatians, Paul is saying any ritual, law, or works on your own effort for salvation is a denial of Christ. Anything added is a denial of Christ. And people will say this. They'll say, no, no, no. I don't deny Christ. I would have said that. No, I don't deny Christ. I can find you people today that are basing their salvation on their works, and they're going to say, I don't deny Christ. But you deny the power of His blood. If you're saying, I have to add anything to it, you're denying the power of His blood. His blood is sufficient for your entire salvation. His blood does not need your help or your rituals, or your acceptance, it saves. Period. That is being straightforward about the gospel. And Paul stood alone on that day in Antioch and corrected this. The other thing about standing up against somebody, withstanding them to the face is, do you think this was fun? For Paul? No. No, do you think he liked it? Do you think he afterwards was just like, wow, that felt good? Absolutely not. It is hard work. 
It is not easy, but it is worth it. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Luther was saying. That's what many, many men, Athanasius, when he stood alone, you think that was fun? He didn't know we would be talking his name however many years, four or five hundred years later. He didn't know that. It doesn't matter. He wouldn't want that. Why? He was doing it for the sake of Christ's name. The same reason we should do it today. The same reason Paul did it then. And it says a man is not justified by the works of the law. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that you are not saved or justified by any of your works. So it's not just the law, it's any works. So how are you justified? What does it say? By faith in Jesus Christ. We have believed in Christ so that we can now be justified by our faith. I remember when I read Galatians for the first time, I had a note out in my old King James Bible that said, it's all about faith, exclamation point, exclamation point. I can still see it. I lost that Bible several years ago. Somebody stole it. I don't know. They needed it more than I did, I guess. But I can still picture that because it was. I think that was the first time I understood this is not depending on what I do. Nothing that I do. When you read the book of Galatians, it says in the book of Galatians, saved by faith 17 times. In this, in, these, in this short little book, it says 17 times you're saved by faith. That's how we're saved. That's how we're justified. And then in Ephesians, it goes on. What's it say? Not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not the works of the law of Moses. It's not the works of your own law. It's not circumcision or abstaining from meats. It's not by baptism. It's not by praying a prayer or speaking in tongues or anything else. It's not by walking an aisle and it's not by your accepting Jesus Christ. It is by faith alone in Jesus Christ, period. And I don't want to hear, but you have to accept him. Really? No, the question is, does he accept you? And the only way he can accept you, a wretched sinner, is by his blood. He's the only one. He's the only worthy one. The only sacrifice that will suffice is Christ. And depending on anything other than him for salvation is denying the power of his blood. So if you say, yes, Christ died for me, but you might as well just say, yes, Christ died for me, but I deny that power. Because if you try to add anything else, but I have to be baptized, but I have to keep communion, but I have to wash feet, but I have to pray a prayer, but I have to accept him, but I have to live my life, but I have to go to church. Any of those things, but I have to feed the poor. No, any of those things, you might as well just say, but I deny his power because it is sufficient alone. Now, Paul goes on, though, and look in verse 17. Get in the right chapter here. But if... While we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. And some things never change. Paul foresaw the argument that comes against good grace salvation. When you preach what I just preached, the argument that's going to come forth is, so you're saying you can just live life however you want. That's, we've all heard it, probably. You're saying you don't have to do anything. Just go on sinning as long as I believe. You just go on sinning. And Paul says, certainly not. Many out there will say these things. And many out there will talk about good works. And listen, we know that we must also teach good works. Okay? It's not that we're not teaching good works. We know that we must teach good works, but they must be taught in their proper turn. 
They must be kept in their proper place. When the discussion is concerning works and not the article of justification. We're talking about justification right now. And that was Peter's error. And that was the error of the other um, Jews in Antioch. Was they were leading this astray. They were compelling people for the favor of God to do these things. They were compelling people that Christ plus now you got to do all this stuff to earn his favor. Justification is by faith alone and Christ alone. When we're not talking about justification and we're talking about, okay, now that you have been justified, how must we live? That's when the good works come in. They're taught as a result of your regeneration and justification, but never as part of it. That's how the Bible teaches it. If you teach it the other way around, if works have a part of your justification, if the law has a part in your justification, you've put Jesus in the place of Moses and Moses in the place of Christ. Verse 18 and 19. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. When we're born again, when the Holy Spirit gives us new lives, we die to sin. We die to the law. We no longer need the schoolmaster to reveal to us the sin. Why? We have the Holy Spirit to reveal to us our sin. When we're regenerated, He's the one who gives us life. He comes and dwells in us. This answers the works argument. Of course there's good works. Of course there's obedience and sacrifice. We heard about sacrifice this morning. There's times when we have to die to ourselves. We may have to sacrifice our money. We may have to sacrifice our time. We may have to sacrifice our position for the sake of the gospel, but we gladly do it not for our salvation, but because we want to. Why do we want to? Because God has given us new life. He's given us a new desire. Does that mean it doesn't hurt? No, because we're still dealing with this flesh. If we could get rid of this flesh, it wouldn't hurt anymore. We wouldn't have those desires anymore. But this battle is real. It's going on. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are created for His purpose. For workmanship. We are His workmanship. Our new nature wants to do good works. Our new nature wants to worship God. Wants to assemble with the saints. And listen, if these things aren't in your desires, and you call yourself a Christian, you may need to examine yourself. If you come to church because you feel obligated, or if you come to church because it's just a habit and it's the right thing to do, or somebody kind of guilts you into it, or whatever the reason... And you don't desire to be with God's people? Or you sing the songs because everybody else stands up and starts singing and you're just kind of singing along and you're... Examine yourself. Why? Because your new nature that Christ has given you should give you... There should be a desire to be with God's people. There should be a desire to sing songs of praise to Him. And there should be a desire to... Listen to the words of the songs and rejoice in them because they sing praise. There should also be a desire for the Word of God. If you don't have those things, you may not be who you think you are. You may not truly be born again. Verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the regeneration. He's been crucified. He died to sin. The old man is dead. The new has come alive. He's been made alive by Christ. We believe in Christ. Why? Because he gave himself for me. For you. For specifically you. Not for the world. Specifically, he died for you. He did die for the world, but it, it's not, it, don't make it generic. Don't talk about he died for sinners. Yes, he died for sinners. He died for you. 
a specific sinner by name. It's personal. He knows every hair on your head. And you can now cry out to him. I think it was Wednesday night. Ronnie was talking about Abba Father. We have a chance to cry out to the King of Kings and he will hear you. He will listen to your call. You can be like he, he used the, um, the John Kennedy example. When John F. Kennedy was the president, was that his name, Jack, John? His son was a little boy, under, and it showed a picture of him underneath the desk of the president. Nobody else can get to the president. You think you can call Trump up today and say, hey, I, I think you need to reconsider this foreign trade policy. No, <laughs> you aren't getting through. But his children can. They can call him and say, hey, he may not listen. He's not God. But think about the authority that we have. Think about the privilege that we have to be able to call upon the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and ask for mercy. Ask for whatever that it is that we need. Ask for the grace of God to abound on our lives and on our friends' lives, our families. We have that ability and we deny it. We take it for granted. We we don't take advantage of it. In verse 21, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For his righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. See, if there could have been any law given, if it would have been possible to put a law out that could have saved God's people, then it would have happened. Then Christ would not have had to die. This was the only way that justice could be fully satisfied and grace be fully extended at the same time. It is, an, and it, is a, it is an amazing thing that we get to see, that we get to witness, that we get to believe. And he's saying, if I do not set aside this grace. And anything that we add to it cheapens it. Denies it. It denies the power. It denies, it cheapens the sacrifice that Christ made. And we do not want to do that. Why does it cheapen it? Because it gives you, you're the co-worker in it. Right? You get a little bit of the glory. Let it never be. You know, when the law of Moses was delivered, the whole mountain trembled. Go read it. It's an amazing story. We don't have time to read it, but it was incredible. The visual thing that they saw when that law was delivered. And God himself wrote it on a stone. And that law could not save. It never was intended to, and it never could have. All it could do was point to the need of salvation. And yet we try to make up new laws. The one that God delivered couldn't save, but we're going to try to add our own. Maybe that one will save. It will not. No, Christ did not die in vain. He fulfilled his every purpose, and that is to save by grace through his sacrifice and through his blood alone. That's it. That's the point that Paul is making in the entire book of Galatians. And that's the point that he's making here. And that's the point that he made to Peter when he withstood him and corrected him. And correction was received because I think we all know, at least historically, how Peter died. He was bold. God restores us. He restores his people. He does not leave them off the path, but directs them back to the path. And he uses us. He uses other people to do it. And that's why it's so necessary that we learn to correct one another. And it's also so necessary that we learn to be corrected. And we do it, we take it like adults, and we get a little thicker skin and learn that.
And so as we close here, and and we're going into communion, I would say this. If you have never bowed the knee to Christ, if you are trusting in anything other than Him, let today be the day that you repent of that and put your faith fully in Christ. Only you know. It's between you and Him, but He knows. He knows if you're living a fake life. He knows if you're faking it inside your mind. Trust in Christ alone. And if you already have that, relish in it this morning. Because it is as solid as it is anything else in this world. More solid. You are standing on a rock that cannot be moved. And no matter what comes our way, you're secure. And that's a glorious thing as well. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you, God. I thank you for your spirit, which has worked through men to save this gospel, to bring it through the ages to us today that we could be saved as well. I thank you for... And it's been, there's many men that you've worked through, but it's been you, God, that's worked. And I thank you, God, that it is based on Christ alone. Because if it wasn't, I would fail. And I praise you for that. And I praise you for bringing me in. I praise you for all those other brothers and sisters who I have here in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged and strengthened spiritually and that we would go forth with this gospel message and that we would always, always separate law and grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.